This is a Yellow Wave production. Cause we the greatest now I mean Middle finger if you hate us now I mean now my nigga Minshew brought the Koofy back A couple thousand on a ooh, they ain't used to me Cause we the greatest So many offers on the table, we ain't signed shit You think it happened overnight, but we designed it I'm out of line, but now the stars is in alignment Yes, we the greatest I won't let you down We love to fuck it up Am I conscious? Am I trapping? I suppose that I break the mold Could sell cracker, could crack the code Both scenarios I reload But Bimby, where they do that at? So many offers on the table, we ain't signed shit You think it happened overnight, but we designed it I'm out of line, but now the stars is in alignment Gerard? Gerard, that's right <laughs> Gerard John Schaefer was born in Wisconsin on March 25, 1946, as the oldest of three children in a family that he later describes as turbulent and conflictual. Listen, I say a lot of stuff that makes zero sense and make up my own words all the time. If you heard conflictual and thought, what? You are correct in the thinking that that is not a word, but I get what he's trying to say. I totally get it. So that's what you have to just go with that. Years later, as he's being interviewed by court-appointed psychiatrists, he would refer to himself as an illegitimate child, the product of a hasty shotgun wedding. I have a lot of issues with the word illegitimate child. I don't understand that. Like you're a child. How are you illegitimate? Like you're here. You're, you are legitimate because you are here. I do not understand the whole old school, old fashioned. I just, I've never been able to get on board with that. And that probably means that I never will. So I had to point that out. I can't get into it right now because we are just getting started and I've got pages and pages of information about one of the most terrifying people I've come to learn about in my life. He describes his father as an alcoholic who was <clears throat> verbally abusive, flagrantly, flagrant, oh my God, <laughs> this cannot be happening right now. I'm, I'm like at hour zero. I don't have time for this. Which is exactly why I'm laughing because, of course, when you have no time, that's when it all goes down. That's when the ship starts to sink. I mean, geez. Flagrantly adulterous. So basically cheating on his wife without even trying to hide it. Probably bragging about it. That's what I picture. And often absent from home on business trips or otherwise. The otherwise is like, duh with his other family, with his other women. I don't know. Fill in the blank, I guess. By 1960, Schaefer's family had settled in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Shout out Fort Lauderdale. I've got listeners like crazy there. You guys are always in my tops for numbers of listeners. I love it so much. Shout out. I did not realize that when I was doing this story, but I just, I love you guys. I'm so grateful. Keep listening. Uh, he graduated high school there in 1964 and for the next three years was working on the first of several college degrees when his parents divorced. By that time, 
if we were to accept Schaefer's statements to psychiatrists, he was already well on the way to troubles of his own. From an early age, and this is this next sentence is from Dr. R.C. Eaton, and he recorded this in 1973, probably after a session they had together. From an early age, Schaefer has had numerous sexual hangups. You don't say. The 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 like vagueness of that sexual hangups. What what are we talking here? Give me something. Give me anything for details. Like I just need to understand what you mean by that, because that could be anything from minor obsessions to what ends up happening later on in the story. Which I don't want to blow the whistle early. So keep listening. We'll find out. I'm just saying, come on, RC, give us some more information. So experiments with bondage and sadomasochism began when he was around 12. These are the next couple sentences are direct quotes broken up. So just don't get too picky. Uh, Ask me later if you have questions. I don't have time for it. I'd tie myself up to a tree. This is what he would tell Dr. Mordecai Haber. And I'd get excited sexually and do something to hurt myself. So it was around this time, the same time that he's doing that, they began to masturbate and fantasize about hurting other people, women in particular. And if this wasn't enough for you, he also talks about how he remembers the time that he discovered women's underwear and would sometimes wear them. All he wanted to do was, in quotes, hurt myself. I'm having hurt. Like, it's so sad. He's just a child. But knowing what he does later, it's just, this is where I struggle. It's, I don't know, necessarily think that these situations could be avoided per se, or that these people can be, in quotes, saved, whatever that even means, first of all. But as the, the human in me, I can't help but see the good in everyone, and I do think there's good in everyone, although it's skewed because, like, his story is particularly terrifying to me, and I've been doing, I've been reading true crime, listening to true crime, obsessed with it forever. I've only just recently started talking about it, and for whatever reason, the talking about it has what, is what has been making me so anxious and so I just struggle with that aspect of it for some reason and that being said I've I've covered a lot of really really dark people I've read a lot more than that more than what I've covered you guys have to understand like I said this has been a passion of mine for some reason for a long time so this is like all I do in my spare time willingly and when I find somebody like this who makes me like retreat into myself even more than I already do as an introvert and kind of like want to stay away from doing this and wait till literally, like I said, last minute, hour zero, that's where we're at right now. I don't know. I just, it's hard to talk about because I think a big part of it is the fact that I just can't fully acknowledge that there are evil people but I also know that there are at the same time it's my brain is fighting with itself is pretty much what's happening still not on page two but I am getting closer that 
violence that we just barely touched on before I had to get my computer back up and walk away. That started when he was a little kid playing little kid games, like his childhood games. And in those games, he would tell Dr. Haber that he always got killed. He wanted to die. He says, my father favored my sister, so I wanted to be a girl. I wanted to die. I was such a disappointment to my family as a kid, to my father. He loved my sister. I couldn't please my father, so in playing games, I wanted to be killed. And like I said before we walked, before we, before I walked away, that kills me to listen to that a child is feeling that way. I just, I just want to curl up in a ball because I can't, I just feel like everyone can be saved, but I also can't do it all by myself. And it just, hmm, it's just hard when you hear a kid who a kid who wants to die they shouldn't even know what that it like not that they shouldn't know what it is but most kids don't even know what it is to be dead when you have a young child who wants to die there are two things that pop out to me obviously it's a huge issue and there's so many things going on emotionally that I just want to help them but their IQ has to be higher than average to even know what that means and to want that you know what I mean? So <clears throat> moving right along because we have to and hopefully get to page two real soon here. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is. So let's, we're going to we're in this together. We're going to enjoy this night no matter what, because I said so. That's the mom and me coming out. <laughs> Schaefer does claim to have on his own time and on his own wake by his own free will visited a psychiatrist in 1966 to seek relief from his sexual deviance and homicidal fantasies but obviously therapy didn't help because as we know we don't know everything about this but we know that that's not that's not the answer and if his later statements are credible he after All of that, after all the effort, he kept on hearing voices telling him to kill. That same year, that very same year, he toured the South with moral rearmament, the cheery up with people folks who saying that freedom isn't free. Why am I pausing? (laughs) Okay, so I guess that was a full sentence. And that's the actress in me, I guess, where I'm just like wanting this to be more than what it is, apparently. That's all that that was. So that same year, the psychiatrist, he toured the South with moral rearmament, the cheery up with people folks who saying that freedom isn't free. And that's the end of that. Awesome. <laughs> Great. I hope you guys are just as thrilled as I am. I could have totally dealt without that sentence, but I'm leaving it in because I love to remind you guys that I am human. And it's also funnier when I just don't give a shit and do things like this and wait until there's no time left and can't edit anything. And as much as I, it makes me super uncomfortable to the point where I just want to scratch my face off and run away. These are the best episodes. And even if they aren't, it is what it is. Moving along. Um, so then after that little tour, if you want to call it that loose, that's a loose term, 
Schaefer thought about the priesthood as a calling, but he was turned away from St. John's Seminary, where he remembers them saying why he was turned away as him not having enough faith. And then that rejection right there angered him so much that he just simply quit the Catholic Church. Goodbye. Which tells you it wasn't fulfilling to be like it wasn't there were no roots because if there are roots you can't just quit something it just means that he wanted something it didn't get it and the rejection killed him and then he was done with that because it was there are no roots with people like this is the best way i can describe it visually so that you can kind of picture the mental psychological issues going on no roots they're blown around wherever their desires take them and that's it it's really that simple, but it's so hard to understand. So then his next goal was a teaching job. Awesome. Really comforting. Uh, through which he hoped to instill American values like honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. But he was twice dropped from student teaching programs for, in quotes, trying to impose his own moral and political values on his students. I think of one person, Adolf Hitler, just saying that's the, I know it's like super lame because he's gets thrown under the bus all the time as he should. I'm just, that's the first one that comes to mind, probably for you too. Uh, <laughs> this is amazing. The second time that this happened, the supervisor named Richard Goodhart recalls telling him in quotes, I told him when he left that he'd better never let me hear of his trying to get a job with any authority over any people or I'd do anything I could to prevent it. Damn. Richard saw straight to the the problem. He saw like you cannot be in this position ever again. And as far as right now, that's the first and only person who has seen that in him. And I am here for that. Silently round of applause to you, Richard. Nailed it. In 1968, Schaefer married Martha Fogg with two G's. I don't know why, but that feels important. But surprise, surprise, that did not work out. Martha filed for divorce in May of 1970. Two years later, ouch, that's not ideal at all. Divorce is not ideal, but two years later, it's just like, oh, that. That's that's not okay. There's something going on. And the reason that she filed was because of extreme cruelty. And that is in her direct word. Those are her words, extreme cruelty. I do not want details on that because I just can I can only imagine. After that, Schaefer took a few weeks to recuperate in Europe and North Africa that summer. And then he comes home with a new goal in life. First of all, where is he? What? Where is he getting this money? To, well, I mean, not necessarily money, but I don't know. That's just weird to me. Like going to Europe and North Africa, and also, sec first thought was, whoa, what do? You, where did you get that money? Second thought is, what happened in each of those places? Who the fuck did you kill? Because you're crazy, and especially after something like that, you're you are going to make somebody in quotes pay. In my mind for whatever wrongs that you've conceived in your ill brain, which is just devastating. So he comes home with a new goal in life. 
if he couldn't be a priest or a teacher, he would be a policeman. Again, we have somebody in authority. Red flags. Every, everywhere I look, it's just a field of red fucking flags. He applies to several departments and was reject, rejected. He was rejected. He was rejected. That is how you say that word. Rejected. There's no, there's not a second R, by the way. By the Broward County Sheriff's Office after failing a psychological test. No shit. So they do work. Okay, that is a little bit comforting. However, this next part is not because despite that, the small Wilton Manors Police Department hires him anyway. Good idea. That is a really, you know what? That's a good idea. That is a good idea. Let's do this psychological test that obviously is effective, at least for this man. And let's not acknowledge it in any way, shape or form. It's just a waste of money. Let's just, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about that. You can, you can have a job. It'll be good. It'll, it'll be cool. Super comforting. Um, where are we at? I just went back like five paragraphs. Okay, so in March of 1972, he earns a commendation for his role in a drug bust. But this is hilarious to me. One month later, on April 20th, he was fired. 420. 420 is a big, like, come on. You, I don't even need to explain the drug part of that, but it's also Hitler's birthday. Just the irony is, it's so, it. this is soaked with irony. Explanations for this, re, like why he was fired, they vary. Chief Bernard Scott later says that Schaefer didn't have an ounce of common sense, agreed, but also he does in weird ways at weird times. His luck is... He's a lucky guy. He's not the smartest, but he is so lucky in the worst way. Uh, and then ex-FBI agent Robert Ressler reports that Schaefer was disciplined for running female traffic violators through the department's computer where he would obtain their personal information and then call them later for dates. As I'm reading this, I do not understand how I didn't see this sooner. That is exactly. All of this actually is reminds me exactly of an ex-boyfriend. And I'm currently, I'm going to finish this next paragraph because I'm so close to a break. And then I need a break because how did I not see, like that is, now when I see, I know what this guy looks like. All I can see is my ex-boyfriend who I will not name because I'm not that type of person, but holy shit. The chills on my body are multiplying. We're gonna, let's do this next paragraph before we do a break for some sponsors because I need to. Oh my God. Okay. All of that aside, <clears throat> whatever the reason for his firing, whatever the actual reason, he's a human. He lives on the on earth with us. He needs a job to get through life. It is what it is. Like, we don't even have a choice. We need money. We need a job. So near the end of June, he signs on with the Martin County Sheriff's Department, pulling up all of his information, all of his money, all of his resources, and he moves to Stewart, Florida. He had been on this job for less than a month when he makes a dumb mistake that would cost him his career and his freedom. So basically, the thing that 
brings him to light in the way that they actually see him for what he is, which is a serial killer. However, like I said before, got to take a quick break and we'll be back to go over some more information. This is still, we are on page two, you guys pray, like, I don't even pray for me, whatever. Give me, send me some good vibes because I don't know how the hell I'm going to get through this shit, but I have to. So (laughs) this is again, like I said, when I've backed my own self into a fucking corner is when I nail it. And they're always the best episodes. The ones I hate the most, but everyone else seems to love them the most. And so I've been pretty organized lately. It's only a matter of time until I can't take it anymore. And here we are. It's that matter of time. Hey, do me a favor real quick and go to your app store. Then download Traffic Cam. It's spelled T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K-C-A-M. And it'll look like a white square with the letter E and the letter I. And the letter I will have a blue dot over it. What this app does is it helps you combat sex trafficking simply by uploading pictures of the hotel rooms you stay in when you travel. Because let's be honest, you're taking the pictures anyways. Probably to send to your friends and make them jealous or even just for yourself. Either way, take it a step further and add those photos to this app to help investigators search and find other images with this hotel room or a similar room just like it so that they can get more info and and narrow down these crazy elusive sex trafficker people. I mean, they are people, believe it or not. What they do is just inhumane though. Because a lot of times traffickers will post photos of their victims post in these hotel rooms that you're staying at for online advertisements. These pictures can become evidence and they can be used to find and prosecute the perpetrators of these crimes. So, in order to use these pictures, investigators need you to help them out by uploading pictures of where you're staying and make it known where you're staying. That way they can take this picture and say, this is the Hilton, blah, 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 wherever. Or this is, I don't even know, days in. I I don't know. I feel like they probably have everything you can imagine. Do it today. Because taking these photos that, like I said, you're probably already taking and adding them to this app, it won't take much time and it could save so many lives. And it could really, really help investigators out. Do the right thing, take the pictures, and send them to this app. On July 21st, 1972, Schaefer picked up two hitchhikers, 17-year-old Pamela Wells and 18-year-old Nancy Trotter, on the highway near a local beach. He told them, falsely by the way, that hitchhiking was illegal in Martin County then drove them back to a halfway house where they were staying. So then he offers to meet them the next morning, off-duty, to drive them to the beach himself. The girls agreed, but instead of taking them to the beach on July 22nd, the next day, Schaefer drove them to swampy Hutchinson Island off State Road A1A. 
this is it. It drives me nuts. Somebody, a police officer, doing this. I just can't. I just there's so many things I can't even start with this. It's just so terrifying and wrong, and it's just it's horrible. So once they're there, he starts making sexual remarks, and then he draws a gun and tells the girls that he plans to sell them as white slaves to a foreign prostitution syndicate, a.k.a. sex trafficking, which is not only a real thing, it's a real fucking prevalent thing. Look it up, do something like what I mentioned before in an ad previously, in other episodes, in this episode... There are so many ways that the average person can do something. So just do it, okay? Please. Thank you. So then he forces them out of the car and bound both girls, then leaves them balanced on tree roots with nooses around their necks, which means that they're at risk of hanging if they slip and fall. So he leaves them, promising to return shortly, but... In the meantime, while he has left but wants to come back, the girls escape and they reach the highway where they flag down a passing police car. Props to them because I'd be like, how do we know that this car isn't in on it or that this guy isn't in on it or that this isn't the same guy? Absolutely terrifying to me. Like this, this whole scenario is just what movies, horror movies are made of in the worst way. Another thing that is not just terrifying, but like it's terrifying, but in a different way. So they had no problem identifying their assailant because Schaefer had told them his name. This is a bad sign. Giving information like that on top of letting them see your face to me is a huge red sign that this person has no intentions of letting me live or survive this. Not with that kind of knowledge. It's just basic. There's no way unless there's some sort of uh, mental issue. On t- not like obviously he has mental issues, but I'm talking about development, developmental mental issues, something like that. Let's go with that. Um, but then but what I want to know, because I do believe that firmly that I want to know what was so important that he had to leave them for even a minute and risk them escaping because maybe it's the perfectionist in me, but if I were in his position, not going to happen. However, I'm not here to be helpful to murderers uh, because that doesn't, that's not my point, my reason for doing this, but I just can't help to wonder like, what are you thinking? That's not a good idea. So then by the time that these girls escape and are flagged, they flag down a police officer and obviously are are on their way to make a report, whatever, he figures it out and finds that they've escaped. And so he takes action immediately and calls Sheriff Richard Crowder and says, in quotes, I've done something foolish. You're going to be mad at me. I've overdone my job. I was just trying to scare the girls out of hitchhiking in the future for their own good. I hope that he heard crickets on the other end of the line like you just heard from me because fuck you, no, not buying that shit. And even if that was the case, you can't do that as a police officer. You can't do that. That's putting everything and everyone in jeopardy all the time. 
So naturally, not always, things don't always take a natural course as they should, but this time it does. He is fired on the spot, charged with false imprisonment and two counts of aggravated assault. However, he was released on $15,000 bond. That's crazy. It's crazy, but also kind of not. I, I get whatever. It is what it is. So then in November of 1972, he's at trial and he pleads guilty on one assault charge and the other counts were dropped. Judge D.C. Smith called Schaefer a thoughtless fool, thank you, <laughs> and sentenced him to a year in county jail to be followed by three years of probation. The ex-deputy began serving his sentence on January 15th of 1973. But we're not even barely getting started because the most shocking, if that was shocking to you, just wait. The most shocking shit comes up later on when two other girls were missing from the neighborhood. And they, however, would not be as lucky as Trotter and Wells. On September 27, 1972, while Schaefer is free from jail, on bond pending trial, 17-year-old Susan Place and 16-year-old Georgia Jessup had vanished from Fort Lauderdale. Susan's parents said the girls were last seen at their house leaving with an older man named Jerry Shepard, <clears throat> bullshit, <laughs> on their way to play guitar at a nearby beach. They never came back, but Lucille Place had noted Schaefer's license plate number along with a description of his blue-green Datsun. Yes, girl! I, A mom after my own heart. I fucking love that so much. You want to go anywhere with my daughter or my son or my kids? I only have a son. I'm just, this is just me being a mom. I'm going to know everything about you. I'm going to notice and observe shit that you aren't paying attention to. I love this so much. I love it so much. It was March 25th, 1973. Okay, we're so just keep in mind this whole September thing, September 27th is when they went missing. So now we're at March 25th after somebody basically handed them on a silver platter everything they need as far as the vehicle, the name, all of that. Granted, he used a different name, but it's not hard to figure out. It was March 25th of the next year before sluggish, which is a very nice term that I would have not used. I would have used something way, way, way more accurate. Investigators traced the plate number back to Schaefer. And obviously, by this time, he was already in jail for assaulting teenage girls. <clears throat> he denies any contact with Place and Jessup, but the case began unraveling on April 1st, April Fool's Day, mind you, of 1973, when skeletal remains were found on Hutchinson Island by three men collecting aluminum cans. Four days later, the victims were identified from dental records. Susan Place was one of those, and she had been shot in the jaw. And, <clears throat> excuse me, detectives also remarked that evidence from the crime scene, crime scene indicated that the two girls were tied to a tree and butchered. That sounds familiar. What? Where? That's so weird. Where does that sound familiar from? Oh, my. It does. It does. It sounds familiar from... The first two girls that got him on trial to begin with, they were tied to a tree. Same thing. 
at the same place. So weird. Or is it though? Is it weird? You be the judge. On April 7th, police search the home of Schaefer's mother and his then wife, Teresa Dean Schaefer, where Gerard had personal items stored in a spare bedroom. Evidence recovered from this spare bedroom includes a stash of women's jewelry, 100 plus pages of writing and sketches depicting mutilation murders of young women, newspaper clippings about two women missing since 1969, and pieces of ID belonging to vanished hitchhikers Colette Goodenough and Barbara Wilcox. Both of those girls are 19. Those two girls had last been seen alive on January 8th, a week before Schaefer was sent to jail in Martin County. And while their skeletal remains were found in early 1977, no cause of death could be determined. And because of that, no charges were filed. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I don't like, I know it was an earlier time. I just don't like it. I can't stand it. And if you bear with me, I've got more information on this with a different article that I was so busy and wrapped up in reading to you guys that I didn't pull up in time. It's fine. These two were, we're, we're looking at Colette. Good enough. Which, her last name, good enough. Yeah, girl, you are good enough. It just makes me so sad. It's just so good enough to have that last name. It's amazing. Where? <clears throat> Just hang on tight, guys. Take a drink or do something. It's fine. Pay attention because this is interesting. But just let me do my thing. I'm just trying to find some more information on that. I feel like, oh, here we go. Okay. So just a little bit more information on that. Um, these, those two girls were from Iowa. And they were 19, like I said. They left Biloxi, Mississippi, and thumbed their way to Florida. No one saw or heard from them again. So the last time they were seen was in Biloxi. It was March 1973, while Schaefer was serving his one-year sentence, that investigators traced the plate number provided by Susan's place mother back to him. Because she's a badass, and they are not. It is what it is. Y- you fucked up, so you get to. I get to say that. <laughs> Um, he denies, obviously, any contact with Place and Jessup, but the case began unraveling, like we mentioned, on April 1st, when they were found in a shallow grave in the same spot where he held those other girls captive. Um, I'm realizing as I'm reading this, I'm not giving you any new information for some reason when I marked it on the page, I thought I was. So, my bad. Moving right along. So, the news clips that I was talking about when they found them in that spare bedroom at his mom's and his wife's house at the time, one of those referred to the February 1969 disappearance of waitress Carmen Halleck, who it is thought she was abducted from her home. Items of her jewelry were found in Schaefer's hoard, along with a gold-filled tooth that was identified by Halleck's dentist. But once again, no charges were filed. I'm sorry, Fort Lauderdale listeners, your 
my jam. I love you. But Florida, get your fucking shit together. What the hell is that about? I <clears throat> it's too much for me to get into. I can't. Um, more information on Carmen is this. So m remember when I talked about how he was employed as a student teacher at school? He was doing the teacher gig. Well, that was at Plantation High School. And at the time, a beautiful 22-year-old cocktail waitress named Carmen, who went by Candy Halleck, she ended up calling her sister-in-law on December 18th of 1969, just about three months <clears throat> after Lee Bonades, which we'll talk about in a minute, had disappeared, to tell her that she had an appointment with a male teacher from a local junior college that evening. So I lied. <laughs> or maybe did I? I mean, who knows whose facts are correct? He, whatever he, wherever he worked at this junior college or at this plantation high school, doesn't matter. He was a teacher. Just go with the, the big pieces. Okay. For my sake. Thank you. <laughs> um, so she had a, an appointment with him that evening. This identify unidentified teacher claimed to have also done undercover work for the government and could possibly have an employment opportunity for Carmen, which would include international travel and a high salary. I, even right now, knowing what I know, I'd be like, hey, my hand's higher than high. Hey, do you see me? Take me. I will do that. I will love international travel. Don't even worry about the pay. And then you add that high pay. I mean, that's like icing. That is the actual icing on the actual cake. <clears throat> so she's telling her sister-in-law all about this. And... She also mentions what she was going to wear, which is a black uh, leather heel shoes and black cocktail dress. So the girl had style even in 1969. Cannot complain. So then the sister-in-law is like, I haven't heard from Carmen since we talked on the phone about this on the 18th. So she goes to her apartment on Christmas Day. So Carmen's car keys, her driver's license, and her vehicle registration were missing. Also missing were the black cocktail dress and the new black high heel shoes, but her car was later found abandoned in a parking lot, but not with her in it. She was nowhere to be found until later in 10, 10 years later on January, in January of 1978 in Boca Raton, Florida, in the subdivision of Boca del Mar, which was under construction at the time. Her skeletal remains were finally discovered. Damn. The second missing woman, Lee Bonades, had been a neighbor of Schaefer's when she disappeared in September of 1969. He had complained of her taunting him by undressing with her curtains open, and a piece of her jewelry was found among his belongings, but n again, like we've been saying this whole time, no charges were filed when her skeletal remains were finally recovered in 1978. I am about to, I can't myself right off of this week's episode, which is why I've waited so long because I knew what this would do to me and I'm not one for self-punishment. Yet here we are. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, some back story on that. Uh, she had just recently married Charles Bonades a month before. So it was Lee Hainline was her maiden name, um, which 
unfortunately, their relationship was oftentimes, it was like rocky quite a bit. So then she finally tells everyone in her family, close friends, whatever, that her childhood neighbor and sometime tennis partner had offered her a $20,000 salary to join the CIA. Charles, the husband, laughed and thought it was ridiculous. Then, on September 8th, the day she disappeared, he comes home and finds a note from Lee saying that she had gone to Miami to speak with Schaefer about the job. When Lee's brother called Schaefer to ask him if he had seen Lee, he was told something kind of crazy. So Schaefer tells him that Lee had called him and asked for a ride to the airport because she was flying to Cincinnati, Ohio. She wasn't sure of the departure time, so she would call him back with the info. Apparently, he never heard from her again. Lee's car was found parked in a Fort Lauderdale parking lot, and obviously, we know he killed her. So let's just get that out. Even though it's not official official, it's official. Because I said so. <laughs> More jewelry. Jewelry. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tie tie. I'm sorry. Uh, linked Schaefer to the disappearance of 14-year-old Mary Briscolina, who vanished from Broward County with 13-year-old Elsie Farmer in October of 1972. Their skeletons were found in early 1973. But once again, no cause of death could be determined. And the sad, sad tune we've been singing for the past however many minutes. No charges were filed. I'm going to swallow my anger because I need to get through this. <clears throat> the list of suspected victims would grow over time, but Schaefer faced charges in only two murders. Still swallowing my anger, as you, I hope you can tell. And I hope you appreciate it because it is not easy. He was indicted on May 18th of 1973 for the slayings of Jessup in place. Held without bond pending trial, he was convicted on two counts of first-degree murder in October of 1973, which ended in a concurrent term, two concurrent terms of life imprisonment. Numerous appeals, about 20 in all, were uniformly rejected, quickly and uniformly, by various state and federal courts. So then, blah, 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 things happen, life happens, Schaefer was just about forgotten. But then, in 1990, former high school girlfriend Sandra London publishes a collection of his stories under the title Killer Fiction. More volumes followed, and Schaefer insists that his stories were art. Police and prosecutors describe them as thinly veiled descriptions of actual crimes. So basically, a reenactment of the crimes veiled as stories, fiction, which they're not fiction at all. Uh, in private letters to attorneys and acquaintances, Schaefer admitted as much on his own. He pretty much says the what I just told you. Uh, <clears throat> as an example, his reference to a story titled Murder Demons. He talks about this in a letter dated April 9th, 1981. These are direct quotes coming up and it's disgusting. So just bear with me. What crimes am I supposed to confess? Farmer? Briscolina? What do you think Murder Demons is? 
You want confessions, but don't recognize them when I anoint you with them. And we've just gotten started. Ass hole. So (laughs) these are all my own opinions, but I feel like they are universal. Other correspondence swiftly raises the body count. He writes, as you know, on January 20th, 1991, I've always harped on District Attorney Robert Stone's list of 34. In 1973, I sat down and drew up a list of my own. As I recall, my list was just over 80. So then the next day, when he's given more time to reflect, he continues with, I'm not claiming a huge number. I would say it runs between 80 and 110 but over eight years and three continents. Cue the previous trips we talked about. I'm going to throw up. No, I'm not. We can continue. One whore drowned in her own vomit while watching me disembowel her girlfriend. I'm not sure that counts as a valid kill. Did the pregnant ones count as two kills? It can get confusing. I want to punch him in the face. I want to punch him so hard. this is when I have to just like detach and not get involved (laughs) as even I'm I'm involved I'm straight up in this shit but I got to get as uninvolved as possible when you're involved that won't make sense unless it makes sense and if it makes sense to you reach out to me we can be friends so then years later uh those letters that he writes and talks about all this shit, it comes back to haunt him when he's described in several true crime books as a prolific serial killer. His response, which was a series of lawsuits filed against various authors for libel, were uniformly dismissed by the courts. Again, they're like, fuck you, goodbye. In one such case, Judge William Steckler officially branded Schaefer as a serial killer, finding him undeniably linked to numerous murders beyond the two for which he stood convicted. Yes, Judge Steckler, we all agree. We, everyone listening, we all agree. Uh, Well, actually, minus whoever involved in finding all that jewelry and teeth and ID, they're pretty much napping on the job because no convictions came of that. But everyone else, we agree, we do, we hear you, we see you. He boasts of the private and public associations he has based on the reports that he's a serial killer of world-class proportions. Steckler wrote, and it is only arrogant perversity which propels him toward this in similarly meritless lawsuits in which he claims otherwise. Again, yes, I just want to hug you so hard right now. Well, didn't have to wait long because Steckler Steckler, not Steckler. Nope. He is safe. As far as I know, I don't, I I hope nothing bad happened to him, but Schaefer's luck, the killer, the one we've been talking about all night, his luck runs out on December 3rd, 1995, when another inmate barge, he just barges into a cell, slashes his throat and stabs him in both eyes. I am cringing so hard. The throat is one thing. The eyes, I don't know why, but that's like, do not go there. How dare you? But also, like, thank you off the record. Thank you. 
because this guy was, but then again, I, I just can't, I can't get on board with doing that because it's all the same. Just listen to any previous episode about my stance on killing somebody, even if it's on death row, like it's so fucking barbaric. I just can't go there. However, I am emotional right now because I'm in the thick of it and doing this all in one run. Not a fan, but no, don't kill him. Truly, I I do mean that. I said yes, great, but I did not mean that. That was in the moment. Um, if I had time to take it back, I would, because I don't. I just I can't. I can't get on board with that. So then, prison officials claim that the killer is inmate Vincent Rivera, who is serving life plus 20 years for two murders in Tampa, but no specific motive has been offered. Like he's never said, no one's ever mentioned, no one's ever tried to figure it out, or if they have, they haven't been able to. And it just basically comes across as the fact that Schaefer's reputation as a rat and a troublemaker in prison finally caught up with him. And that's what egged this guy on. He just wanted to get rid of him. So with the threat of nuisance litigation buried, gun-shy law enforcement officers felt free to finally speak out on their opinion, their views, their experiences with Schaefer. Bill Haggerty, an ex-FBI agent who studied Schaefer for VICAP in the early 1980s, which can I get some access to VICAP because I would need probably 30 years minimum to just get it out of my system and then finally calm down. I just want, I want to plug so much stuff in, (laughs) so much stuff. So he studies him in the 1980s and he called him one of the sickest. He says that if he had a list of the top five, which would include all of the serial killers that he has interviewed throughout the country, he would definitely be in the top five. For Shirley, Jessup, still mourning her daughter, Schaefer's murder was simply a case of overdue justice. In quotes, I'd like to send a present to the guy who killed him, she tells reporters. I've always believed he was going to get his. I just wish it would have been sooner than later. Which is where I'm just like, again, I, I want to agree with you, girl, but I just can't. So next, I'm going to go through the list of his victims. And this is not complete. I, I don't believe that this is complete. But I'm going to tell you the date they were murdered, their names, their age, the crime, what happened. Which the crime is the only thing that is all throughout the exact same wild, right? And then I'll tell you where it happened. August 9th, 1969, the victim was Lee Hainline Bonades. She was 25 years old. The crime, which is the same throughout, murder and rape. I don't know what order that's in. That's interesting because rape would have to happen before murder because otherwise it would be something totally different. And I don't I don't know that I can go there right now. I've already been far enough. And this happened in Miami. August 12th of 1969, Carmen Halleck. She was 22 years old. The crime, murder, and rape. This happened in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, April 1st, 1972, Belinda Hutchins. She was 22 years old. 
murder and rape was the crime, the site is blank because we don't know. And then this next two have um, a month and a year, no date specifically. January of 1971, Barbara Ann Wilcox. Her age is unknown, murder and rape. She was from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I don't know where it happened. That's where they say it happened. That could be true. It could not be. I did not have time to look that up, so I don't want to quote that specifically. And the same for the next one, which was also January of 1971, Colette Goodenough, Murder and Rape, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Then we have Susan Place. This was on September 27th of 1972. She was 18 years old. Murder and Rape. And it happened in Fort Lauderdale. Georgia Jessup, that was also September 27th of 1972. She was 16 years old. Murder and rape was the crime. It also happened in Fort Lauderdale. Next is Mary Briscolina. This happened on October 23rd of 1972. She was 14 years old. The crime was murder and rape. Happened again in Fort Lauderdale. Then we have Elsie Farmer. This also happened on October 23rd of 1972. The crime was also murder and rape, and the crime also happened in Fort Lauderdale. So his reign of terror was from 1969 to 1972. The motive was sex. The method. He would obtain his victims super easily because he was a police deputy. He would hang a noose around their necks, rape them, and then bound them and then shoot them with a .22 weapon. His sentence was two life terms for the first-degree murder of Susan and Georgia. Everyone else doesn't count, apparently. Have no fear. I am going to leave you all with some really interesting entertaining, fill in the blank, the adjective, whatever. Some random information that you might find interesting or, as I said, entertaining. So his wife at the time, which we've talked about her a little bit previously, barely mentioned, so don't feel bad if you don't remember her name. Her name is Teresa Schaefer. She made one and only one visit to his prison, and that was on November 17th, 1973, and she did so in order to serve Gerard with divorce papers. She later married Elton Schwartz, who was the public defender who represented Schaefer. That is the shit my goddamn dream book is made of. I love that. I love that so much. It, it gives me all the feels. I feel so content and satisfied. I love, oh, that's so amazing. Does anyone else feel that way? Let me know. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm that excited. (coughs) Damn. Okay. Um, we already know about that. We know about that. We know about that. Wait. So, um, also Martin County state attorney's office, uh, a former investigator, who worked on the Oakland Park case, said that Schaefer never admitted to killing anyone to me, but the stuff he put in his writings, the details of what he found, of what we found, 
my bad, at the crime scene were in his stories. Schaefer's writings talked about finding a spot to bury the women and having them stand at an orange crate while he bound them. He'd strangle them, rape them, bury them, and then dig them up again to rape them again later. So while he's Schaefer is claiming that this is fiction, that answers my question of necrophilia that I threw out there vaguely earlier. I had a feeling. I mean, I just had a feeling and I feel not, I feel validated, but I don't feel great about it because come on, we're talking about necrophilia. That's mm, too much. So uh, while he's serving his life sentences, he finds several ways to amuse himself. In 1979, he declared himself married to a Filipina picture bride named Edith, Elin, not Eden, Elin, Ellen. Let's do El. Well, we'll just say Ellen. That's probably what it is. Uh, the young woman appeared in July of 1980 and moved in with Schaefer's father. A marriage license materialized without a ceremony and was accepted by authorities at Avon Park's Minimum Security Prison. Avon Park's, Florida. Everyone involved, get your fucking shit together. How many times do I have to say this? Figure it out. Uh, several contact visit visits were permitted before Schaefer's wife got her green card, which happened in 1985. And then what happens? Oh, that's right. She drops him like the proverbial hot potato. Don't blame you. Do A girl's got to do what a girl's got to do and peace the fuck out. Am I right? Then, a few weeks later, in September of 1985, Schaefer was accused of plotting to escape from Avon Park and murder a hit list of victims, including his ex-wife and Elton Schwartz, who married his ex-wife, Robert Stone, and Judge Trowbridge, which we never heard about him. Wonder what he did. What did what did Trowbridge do, bro? I now I'm gonna have to look that up, and it's I already am like way past my bedtime, and I'm a night owl, not ideal. State police confirmed the plot. Damn, and Schaefer was packed off to maximum security at Stark, which as of right now is home of Florida's death row. Um, excuse me, I have to cough again, but I have a question. <coughs> Why the fuck was he? Why was he not there to begin with? Again, so many questions. Florida. Please do everyone, everyone listening, do us all a favor. Do your state a favor. Figure it out. It's not difficult. Figure it out. Um, however, despite being closely watched, obviously, he managed to run a mail fraud operation from his cell collaborating with cohorts outside to post ads in sex magazines and then solicit money from various kinky tricks. I did the details of this. I do not need. Thank you for not providing them. I don't. Oh, well, it looks like they might provide a little bit. So in that aspect, he adopted various pseudonyms, always female, which as we know, he wanted to be female because he wanted his father's love. Don't we all? Um, he became Mistress Felice, who was a dominatrix, prostitute Jessica Zuriaga, who was a stern matron miller, a husband killer on death row, and so on. Some of his slaves, why are we ca calling them slaves? What, what were they doing that they got that title? 
Um, some of these people paid cash for the privilege of washing Mistress Felice's soiled panties, which were delivered by mail for a price, obviously. Again, this is the second time minimum that I've thought of Orange is the New Black. Anybody else? I don't want to spoil alert you, but if you haven't seen that yet, like you're way behind, that's on you, not me. I cannot be hung with that um, guilt. You, you just can't do it. Uh, he also enjoyed writing to inmates of other prisons, posing as the great love of their lives, laughing behind their backs. I want to throw up right now. I currently am writing to prisoners and also currently only those on death row. This makes me sick. Don't you dare because I'm actually legitimate and I'm not laughing behind their backs. I just like love them so much. How? Oh, that makes me so mad. No, you know what? There's so many things I want to say right now, but I'm not going to not going to do it. So when he's not scamming people. He worked as a jailhouse lawyer with a twist. He would write briefs for fellow cons and then milk them for information on their cases. But then he would sell them out to authorities. Oh, that is so brilliant. God damn. It's like you, you literally can't trust anyone. So one of these inmates was awaiting trial for murder. He told Schaefer where his victims' bodies could be found and Schaefer continued to relay this information to police, which landed his client on death row, which is a deadly game, but also I'm not mad about that because so many things happen, but mainly victims' families get closure. Win, 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 win. So then... Okay, I'm I really got to wrap this up. We're we're coming on it. We're coming in hot. In 1986, he collaborates with police from North Miami. He adopts the guise of D.D. D. Kelly, which apparently they've made up as a 14-year-old prostitute. I'm going to vomit again, who offers nude photos to pedophiles. Responses to his ads were collected by US postal inspectors, but none of Schaefer's correspondence were prosecuted. Instead, Authorities discovered he was working with another inmate, Mervyn Cross, to run a child pornography net pornography network from prison. Cross paid Schaefer's father a monthly stipend for use of his telephone line to communicate with Filipino colleagues. Prosecutors convicted Cross, which added time to his sentence at Stark, but no charges were filed against the Schaefer's. What in the actual fuck? What is it about them? What bubble do they have around them that prevents them from getting any retribution? I don't, I do not understand this. So even as the DD sting collapses, Schaefer has his first encounter with condemned killer Ted Bundy. Whoa, what? According to Schaefer, Bundy was always 100% per spent. I, I got a little excited there, not going to lie. So according to Schaefer, Bundy was 100% respectful of him. Uh, he says that he treated him as a supplicant while others were hanging on his every word. Bundy allegedly confessed that he had been inspired by Schaefer's case to kill two victims on a single day in 1974. Um, and now I'm wondering. I feel like that's a lie, but it also could be true. Damn. 
So with Bundy, Schaefer debated such fine points of murder as the maggot problem and techniques of cleaning upholstery after dying victims urinated in their cars. I'm so close to the end and I'm falling apart. (laughs) It's the classic scene of somebody trying to get to the finish line and like spraining their ankle. And there's nobody here to come back and grab me and help me across the line. So I got to do it by myself. (sighs) Okay, this little friendship between Ted Bundy, which I, before I got into this, I did not know about. But if you remember, um, Stanos, the one I covered two weeks ago, he was his neighbor on death row, Ted Bundy's neighbor. So that makes me think, Awesome. Great. This guy was in with them. Florida, what are you guys doing? What are you doing with all of it? What are you doing with any of it and all of it? Tell me now. So with Bundy, Schaefer debated, blah, 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 blah. So their friendship ends on January 24th of 1989 when Bundy was executed at Florida's electric chair. Um, um, so Wait. So, should so Sandra London. That's how she got the idea. The ex-girlfriend. She wrote to him because of Anne Rule. Fuck. Oh my god. Anyways. So. By 1988, when Tool had already confessed a hundred million times to Walsh's murder, but then also always recanting his statements when detectives asked for proof, Schaefer wrote to Adam's father, John Walsh, host of America's Most Wanted, posing as Tool and demanded $50,000 for Adam's remains so you can get them buried all decent and Christian. Walsh ignored the offer. Good, good job. Hard to do, I would imagine, and tools soon soured on Schaefer's mercenary attentions. So, aside from the sadistic pleasure of tormenting Adam's parents, he did gain nothing from the episode except a new addendum to his reputation as a snitch, which probably or most likely pushed him over the edge with his killer, who was just like, fuck this guy, we're done with him. Um... Hmm. Oh my God. Okay. Fuck shit. I did not, I did not need any more information. So <clears throat> one of Schaefer's biggest hobbies behind bars was obviously writing his sick ass stories. Most were suspected of being real council murder that he had committed and others were just basically fantasies. In one story simply titled Horrors, he recounts hanging a prostitute and having sex with her corpse. He writes about doing doubles. And in this one, he talks about how it's far more difficult than doing singles. But it puts him in a position of having twice as much fun. He says, in quotes, there can be some lively discussions about which of the victims will be killed first. I want to punch him right in the face so fucking hard i really do 
A series of stories was about a rogue cop who moonlights, who moonlights, I'm falling apart at the seams, <laughs> who moonlights, moon, <coughs> I swear to God, I will get through this because this story deserves it. Not him, not him, everyone involved and affected. The story is about a rogue cop who moonlights as a serial killer targeting prostitutes. In these writings, he claims to have started murdering women as early as 1965 when he was 19. I don't fucking doubt it. He's an asshole. A collection of stories was published under the title Killer Fiction. More volumes followed. He insists that his stories were art. Please, blah, blah, blah. We understand. I talked about that earlier. I'm not going to talk about that part because I talked about it already. Papa. So, if you're wondering how many times he was stabbed, because it made me think of like three. Like chest and two eyes. Nope. 40 times. Head and neck area. Apparently, he had, everyone had had enough and he was done. Um... Hold on. So it appears that what set Rivera, the one who stabbed him, over the edge was that Schaefer had taken an extra cup of hot water and left Rivera without any water. Rivera denies that that's the reason, but I, I feel like why would they even talk about that? That's weird. Um, well, fun fact, this attack that killed him is one thing, but... He had actually not been popular at all in prison and had been attacked on at least one other occasion, probably more, when his cell was set on fire twice. So to me, that's two occasions. We, I'm not very good at math. I'm an English person. Language, all that. And art, all, all that left brain stuff. Or right I don't even know at this point, but I'm not good at the math shit. And to me, that is two times whatever but it does make sense because he was a sex offender and an ex-police officer and he was clearly rumored to be an informant as well so that's like three strikes you're out you are the least popular you're done um unfortunately at the time of his death a fort lauderdale homicide detective had been proposing to file charges against him Schaefer for three unsolved murders to ensure he never got out of prison. Finally, someone's trying to do something. There are a lot. Of, so you guys, I can't go on. I, I actually can't. There's a lot of artwork provided that I will try to gain the courage to share with you. There are children involved that we didn't even touch on. We didn't even mention them in passing. These poor children, nine years old and younger, victims it's disgusting it's horrible and this is why this week has probably been the worst one for me ever there's something about it about him about his murders something about the whole thing the vibe i get the second i read his name and read a one paragraph about him i wanted to throw up and i truly couldn't not do this but at the same time i want anything else i don't want to do this but i did it because it needed to be done so 
that's that. I hope next week is easier. I really do. I can't tell you what it's going to be. You should see the image of me right now. It's not ideal. I do not look fit to be in society. Got to go take a shower and pass the fuck out. I love you all so very much. I hope you were able to (coughs) hang along enough to understand and get something, anything out of this. I really do. I did my best. And my best this week doesn't look that great, but sometimes that's the case. So I'm done. Good night. Love you. See you next week. Bye. Piss out. Earth to Brit can be found wherever you go to get your next podcast fix. My handle on Instagram and Facebook is Earth to Brit Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Earth to Brit Pod. Emails can be sent to earthtobrit.podcast at gmail.com. The podcast website is www.anchor.fm slash earth to Brit. Remember, Brit is spelled with two T's. B-R-I-T-T. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is a Yellow Wave production.